Zoom is recording. Oh, Wednesday. You see what I mean? You got to be crazy. It's too late to be sane. You got to go full tilt, full zoom. Because you're only given a little spark of that. We are attention. If you lose that, you're not attention. Pay attention. From me to you. Don't ever lose that. Because it keeps you alive. Okay. Got your time. Got your your new age. Got it. Super special time timer. All right. Let's put thirty minutes on the clock. Thirty minutes. All right. <whistles> Bang. Boom. Okay. All right. Not in the frame. Out of the frame. In the frame. Out of the frame. In Down. the frame. Out of the, out of the frame or in the frame. Out. Out of the frame. Out of the frame. Face, facing you. Face facing me in the frame. Down. In out of the frame. All right, we're gonna have to reset the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm reset. And I just got our comedy plug at the beginning. Oh my god. <laughs> I am like running on. Seriously, <laughs> I'm running on like six hours of sleep, which isn't six. enough for me. Yeah, that sounds like a great I, night of sleep. I stayed up till like I was up to like three something in the morning. What were you doing? Oh man, I was moving office furniture. Oh so, my gosh, when I yeah. left you at 10 30 p.m. your time last night, you had work to do in that office. Yeah. Well, that's when I started. So after our meeting. And I hadn't eaten either. Oh, yeah, you mentioned. <laughs> so all I had that day was a smoothie, an apple, and a granola bar. Um, maybe maybe these are the things we leave off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mindfulness and, and healthy, <laughs> healthy uh, 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 you know, mental preparedness. Or, or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah man, the, I didn't eat. I. Got like two le- two hours less than I do on average, and that's right. Let's do it. Let's let's make this podcast ready to go. Um. Well, did you get it done, or did you get what you need to get done? Yeah. Done. I moved. I moved all the furniture. Moved everything into the new office by myself. Got it all set up. So well, there you go. It's, it's all. It's all done. It's all ready to go. Cheers, man. Yeah, but I was in a, I was in a hyper focused zone. Had to got get it. it. Had to get it done. I can relate to that. Then I came home and I ate a very healthy kind of bowl of, of food. Nice. So just like a bowl of like superfood kind of stuff. So give you some of that energy for today. Yeah. All right, but anyways, we we're making an episode on mindfulness. Great. And I think <laughs> we'll probably cut out some of the stuff from the beginning that I just said, but. Um, I think it, it goes to show that we're not perfect with any of this stuff and that we're, we're learning and trying to grow along with the community when we're recording these podcasts. So, um, just, just know that like with any of this stuff, mindfulness or any of the other topics that we're talking about, we're going to be talking from personal experience and we're going to be, you know, showing like displaying our own infallibilities and that's part of this process that we are we're 
doing our best to help ourselves and to help others. But at the same time, we're not, we're not perfect. And we are trying our best to be mindful and to use certain techniques. And we're going to kind of talk about some of that today. Yeah, we are not even, we're, we're far from it as far as perfect is concerned. Not, yeah. 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 Perfectly imperfect. Exactly. Um, I'm excited. Okay, yeah, mindfulness. It's a buzzword. Um, it seems to be used a lot, thrown around a lot lately. Yeah. With various, like, healthy forms of eating and and exercise and even meditation is 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 kind of swinging back into the the zeitgeist right like ever you know mm-hmm. i i actually can't count the number of entertainment industry folks that i've had conversations with recently um just this year and last year about like meditation practices you know like yeah have discussions about it it's it's very powerful in terms of what it can do for adhd and a whole host of other conditions right but you yeah like you said you, you tend to hear it everywhere like it's this buzzword it's this thing that everyone's talking about but then what do you do how do you do it yeah. and especially for ADHD because a lot of people just assume <laughs> how do you well, mindful how do how, I, how, how do, does someone how does someone mindful do i full well, of mind i mean i hear this from people it's like when you mention meditation or mindfulness it's like okay i have ADHD that seems like it's it's not it's, able to go together right these are polar opposites add up (laughs) yeah it's like polar opposites your your attention is constantly off and you have trouble kind of maintaining focus on whatever it is and you have this overactive mind so how could you possibly like meditate or be mindful or do these kind of tactics strategies but i i have i found some tricks i found some things that i've done that helps with that um so we'll we'll talk about that, but what are like anything else you want to say about just mindfulness in general, oh. like stuff you've heard or sure. So I have experienced mindfulness more recently in many varied forms. Um, when I was first introduced to the word mindfulness, it was more about like be mindful, you know, like hey, be aware. It was more of the like colloquial just like English usage of be mindful, right? Don't, you know, mm-hmm. be careful of what you say. You're like, be nice to others, you know, be mindful of your surroundings. That was exclusively, it was about awareness, right? Yeah. Only recently in the last two years, Max, have I, have I been opened up to this discussion about mindfulness as a philosophy, as a state of being, like as a state of existence, right? This idea of training the brain, training the psyche to be, mindful of the moment right aware of the moment every all all the things taking place in the moment right you know the breeze coming through my windows right now and the sound of birds the smell outside how am i feeling how do i think about how i'm feeling etc right it's become this way more complex and powerful tool for um, like a powerful day-to-day tool for maintaining sanity, um, helping bring about contentness, uh, con- building confidence, um, creating clarity through the fog of every, you know day-to-day life. So yeah, I mean, I mean that's kind of my relationship to mindfulness recently has become more 
has become more of an exploratory mission. It's become more philosophical and like a lifelong journey rather than just this word that I, that I know, you know? Yeah. So kind of what you're saying is it's instead of just looking at it as a practice or a technique, that it's something that takes over as more of an overarching strategy of how to live your life and how to be, how to incorporate mindfulness into your day to day existence moment by moment. Yeah, and I think it's that more of a lifestyle option than yeah, than and that's yeah. honestly that's how it was intended. I think with the I mean mindfulness and how we look at it today, often it's taken out of context from the traditions, and in not that Buddhism is the only tradition that has practiced right. mindfulness. There's ascetic all. traditions in all sorts of religions, but primarily Buddhism and Hinduism are the two, two of the biggest ones that talk about t- practices of meditation and um, mindful awareness practices through, you know, yoga or right. breathing. Or where meditation is mantras of, of that yes. of that religious thought, right? Like meditating right. is spoken of frequently and often. Yeah, and in those traditions, if we think about like where it comes from, where mindfulness comes from, it comes out of certain ancient contexts. And so we, if you think about meditation, right, you imagine what that is. Mm-hmm. We think of a monk sitting cross-legged, breathing, being very kind of zen-like, right? That's kind of how you, you know, they might be holding their hands in some kind of way. I'm meditating maybe it's on like, meditating. Maybe it's like this or their hands are are kind of at their feet, but you kind of think of it that way. And then how does that relate to mindfulness? Well, meditation is mindfulness, right? It's a practice of mindfulness, but it's a formal technique. Mm. It's a formalized way of doing it. And a certain type of meditation or a practice of meditation involves things like the breath. And the breath is, is an anchor that can be used, but there's other anchors. So when I, when I say anchors, I mean things that bring our attention back to something that's present. So when someone uses the breath, <laughs> when someone uses the breath, they, that's one thing that helps them anchor their, their awareness into the present. So being aware of my lungs are rising and falling, being aware that I can feel the breath on the tip of my nostril as I breathe out kind of thing. I can feel my lungs filling up in the top of my chest or my throat. So those are, that's how it's used. That's how mindfulness is kind of used. Yeah, well, you just highlighted kind of two elements of like an ultimate goal, right? Or two two, two parts to the ultimate goal, right? Which is, <clears throat> so mindfulness is about if we're if we're giving just a clear definition mindfulness is about bringing ourselves to the present in order to what like it's mindfulness that maybe just to kind of start here it's like mindfulness is present awareness okay and you were talking about fully fully present fully present right and i've heard believe me in the acting world or in the entertainment world being fully present gets uh, gets beaten into the ground repeatedly for years it's the and but it is this notion though of being 
or actively in the present. It's about being 100% aware of your surroundings and your significance in those surroundings, right? And, and being ready to react and act according to all of the possible stimuli that could come your way, right? That's like the ultimate goal is to be 100% here. And is that, is that possible? Uh, maybe for Jason Bourne, but, or, or for like, you know, the world's greatest yogis. But for us, it's about kind of just stretching those muscles and trying to get as close to that as possible in any given moment. Right. Am, am I right in mm-hmm. saying that? Yeah. Yeah. So just to be clear, I think like mindfulness is part of meditation, yeah. part and parcel of it, but the two are not like, right. the two are not the, the same. So you, so just because you're doing mindfulness doesn't mean you're meditating. Right. But when you're meditating, you are using mindfulness. And the way to look at it is that mindfulness practice, there's multiple types of mindfulness practice. And even in things like acting or in any other field, when you enter into a flow state, when you really become fully en- engrossed in what you're doing, when you're at that moment where you think, wow, like you just have this kind of feeling, this almost outer body experience of, you're, you're running through those motions. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's something else that you've done over and over, and you have that muscle memory almost, and you just get into a groove, and you feel as if it's almost like autopilot. Something else is taking over. But at the same time, you're not in your head thinking about what am I going to eat later or what did this person say to me or some other thing from the past or the future. You're just right there in that moment hundred percent in that activity, whatever you're doing. So mindfulness can be powerful and can happen within any type of field or environment. And really you can bring it into even the simplest tasks like doing dishes or making your bed or brushing your teeth. And the, like John Kabat-Zinn had brought kind of mindfulness practices to the West. Mm. Um, him and a, and a few other folks, but he developed these techniques called MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques. And in one of, I took some of these courses, uh, I took a, a series of courses on this, and um, in one of the first ones, we took a raisin. And it's a simple yes. raisin, just out of a bag. It's very high-quality raisin, though, probably like some organic, you know, uh-huh. health food store of course, raisin. Of course. Very delicious. Yeah, organic, non-GMO, single source. <laughs> right, right. All, all that stuff. Yeah. Locally grown. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, it was interesting because we took this raisin and put it in our mouth. And the, the tongue actually has some of the most uh, receptors, like touch receptors of, of anything, even more than your hands. So the instructions was to feel that raisin, to take it in your mouth, taste it feel the sensations on it and just really try to absorb, not just like eat the raisin and swallow it and like, oh, okay, that was good. Because a lot of times our relationship to food, right? Even something so simple, this one raisin, we don't stop to savor it. We don't stop to really pay attention mm-hmm. to the texture, the flavor, the dynamics of it. So you, we did that and it was amazing because it actually, the raisin tasted like way better than you'd expect just because we took that moment to do that. And how long did you guys take but, dissolving the raisin? I mean, it was probably just maybe five minutes. But we did the same test 
my freshman year at college, and it's funny how really? how 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 uh, widespread was it the raisin, raisin test? test? But it wasn't the rate we didn't call it the raisin in test, acting school the raisin exercise, and it was an acting professor of ours, <clears throat> and uh, same thing five minutes, and you I mean you put a bunch of theater kids in a room and and make them eat a raisin for five minutes, and it becomes like a, an emotional journey. But um, it was no, but it was on a, on a scientific level, you know, so fascinating psychologically. Because yeah, suddenly you know, it, you go through. It's almost like we cycle rapidly through phases of judgment and perception and subjectivity and objectivity, like really quickly over the span of five minutes. We just go through all these cycles of like judging the experience, and eventually by minute three, maybe four, maybe five you do experience this transcendence over that judgy side, that like constant, like uh, uh, essentially constant judgments and observations happening in your head. And all of a sudden there's this pause and you're just eating a raisin, you know, by fourth or fifth minute. Now you're suddenly just like, oh, how does this taste? Oh, interesting. Oh, I never tasted that before. Oh, I never felt that texture of a raisin. And suddenly the raisin is like the, the most delicious thing you've ever had in your mouth. You know, yeah. um, which which new age restaurants across the world are trying to emulate essentially with like these it's very expensive to go. But these like 25 tasting plates, you know, there's like tasting menus are coming back where you get a bunch of really small portions and you're expected to dine on that tiny portion for a much longer period of time, just like the raisin yeah, and experience a whole breadth of flavor that you didn't before. Yeah, like this slow food movement and that kind yeah. of stuff, like where you just pause to to take and a moment. It's a lot of people. <laughs> it is. It is. It's all yeah. mindful. It's like how many of us like eat while we're watching TV? Oh yeah. How many of us try to multitask or do certain things, but then how present are we being? And I think with ADHD, one of our problems, it's it's both a problem and it's a strength. <laughs> Okay, is that we have a, uh, an ability to be present. We can be present all the time. And sometimes we're present too much. Sometimes we're so present that we're not thinking about what's coming up, what time it is, what I have oh, to do tomorrow, funny. Right. How, how what I'm deciding to do right now is going to impact what's happening in the next yeah. moment. So honestly, sometimes we have this great ability to be present all the time without even trying. Now, but are we really being intentional in that present moment? Are we directing that attention in some way? Are we guiding that attention or are we letting our default modes? So like with ADHD, there's the default mode network in the brain. And that network has to do with how we regulate attention, right? That, that has to do with how we engage in certain things and how mindful we are in the moment of what we're doing whether we're on autopilot or just kind of reacting to things versus actually being intentional and in, in doing things in a sequence. Um, and I think the challenge for us with ADHD is to, is to learn and be aware of our own attention and how we can, in the moment, kind of make better intentional decisions. Mm -hmm intentional decisions about how we're utilizing the attention and where it's going. Is it going on that random thought or emotion that popped up in your head? Do you have to go into that? Do you have to 
allow that to take over you and react to it. No. So like you said, right, when you were talking about do we have to let those emotions take us over and react, are we being reactive all the time? Well, most of us are in this reactive state all the time, reacting to this thing, that thing, this thought, right. that thought, another emotion, some situation coming up. But are we being kind of more proactive or are we trying to just be, really just being with whatever it is? Reactive versus active reaction. Like controlled reaction, well, just, like re, just like involuntary reactive versus controlled reaction. The thing that springs to mind immediately volitional i'm saying uh, kind of like volitional reaction yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah Yeah. what what springs to mind is is our discussion of hyper focus back way back when where i explained that while i back the idea of it and i love the notion that there's this flow state that we can tap into i found it challenging to control that right and this is almost the opposite side of the coin but same mental gymnastics right like same same mindfulness exercise or similar mindfulness exercise right so like in the hyper focus we were talking about trying to get into a um focused state where you can kind of black out other stuff and just you know rubber meets the road finish the project that you're you're hyper focusing on and mindfulness correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost feels like the opposite result, but same practice, like being in control of your awareness state, your flow state, to the extent that you can let other thoughts or clouded thoughts or or the chaos around you kind of like pass through you and get to that hyper-focus state. Like it almost feels like maybe the step before hyper like controlling hyper-focus or like if you... If you can, if you feel more comfortable and confident in your, in your ability to meditate for five minutes, 15 minutes, 25 minutes and clear out those thoughts and just become present, then it suddenly becomes way easier to focus your energy and time on your to-do list or, you know, the next task or whatnot or. Well, what you're doing when you're meditating or when you're practicing mindfulness, even the smallest practices of mindfulness, like just paying attention to that raisin or paying attention to walking outside and feeling the sun's rays on your skin and, and, or looking at listening to the birds and really like listening to them or going and looking at some flowers and watering plants in your garden, smelling the, smelling the flowers. Right. You can, those small little things in your life can be moments where you can practice mindfulness moment to moment. And the more of those you string together, the more you're able to, to strengthen that part of your brain. You're strengthening your attentional capacities. Now, everyone, whether they have ADHD or not, could benefit from strengthening their attentional capacities. We just struggle even more because we have less, we're we're kind of um, entering into the game with a bit of a handicap, (laughs) like not in the, you know, uh, like, yeah, uh, pejorative yeah, yeah, sense yeah. of the word, but but a but a like a sports handicap, right? Where you come in and you have something that's that's kind of limiting what you can do right off the beginning, off the bat. But that doesn't determine where you end up. It doesn't determine like 
where you end up going with that ability. And I think that what we have is we have an ability to switch that on. And because we also have the ability to hyper-focus, if we learn how to practice strengthening that muscle of how, how do we how do we learn to manage our attention? Mm. I I think it's different than kind of controlling it because control makes it seem no, I like think you're, you're right. I think the right word is manage. Yeah, is is manage. It feels more like you know the ma- like Neo in the Matrix, like managing stimulus rather than it does controlling. It's not quite like when he flexes and makes the hallway bend. You know, that's that's a little too much <laughs> fantasy world. It's more it's more when those bullets fly by him and he can see them ripple, you know, as he flies by. It's like managing impulses and letting them pass by. Um, so I think that's right. I think that is the right. Right. So when something comes up, being aware yeah. of it, seeing it, noticing it in a non-judgmental yeah. way, that's mindfulness. Right. So, And if you practice that, it helps with attention. It really does. It helps with attention no matter if you have ADHD or not. But especially if you have ADHD, it, almost a twist on how you said that is it, it. It's helpful no matter what your your overriding mental condition is. It's particularly vital for folks like us who need extra scaffolding when it comes to to getting things done on time and finishing projects that we set out to finish and staying on task, etc. Here is this, you know, this body of physical and mental activity. That, that helps, that just simply helps clear out the mess and and um, stay focused, stay diligent, and stay on task. So you mentioned earlier you have a couple tips and tricks, and I know I have a few as well in this last five minutes. Excuse me. In this last five minutes or so, I know we both have our kind of grab bag of physical and mental gymnastics that we do to, to help improve mindfulness. So why don't you, you – you take us away, you start us off. All right. Well, I use this product called Muse. Muse is a headset. Anywhere? And yeah, I can I can Do go grab, grab it. Because I've actually wanted to see this since Christmas. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Your, your office chair was about a half turn away from doing a full 360 after you left. And I was like, do it, do it, do it. Um, also, you can set your time timer to five minutes exactly so we can give ourselves like two and a half, two and a half. But no, I actually have been really excited to see this Muse thing. So you, you, when, did you, when did you get the Muse headset? I've had this for, um, I'd say maybe like, what is it? six months now yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like around that. christmas you started talking to me about it yeah got it right around then um so yeah here's here's the muse it's a headset so it goes on like this and i'll i'll briefly show you without the headphones cool <clears throat> looks like a star trek character or someone from logan's run oh now he's meditating I gotta be quiet <laughs> so yeah. what it does okay there's these sensors nice. in it 
and the sensors measure your EEG brain waves, your alpha, beta, gamma kind of brain waves. And they have their proprietary algorithm, which is set to measure attentional focus, mm. mindfulness. So it's a tool to help you do that. And the way it works is you wear the headset and it links up with a smartphone app. So the app kind of looks like this. I'll show iPhone you. iPhone screen and a webcam. Let's see if it works. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So we've got like yeah. a, a calming ocean waves crashing start session seven minutes beach. so what happens what happens is you can change the the yeah. amount of time you have you can change how it's guided or not guided and when you do it you can also change the different soundscapes that are involved i like this one that's like the beach it's waves and what happens is the soundscape responds to your actual brain waves so if you're losing attention losing focus in the moment and getting off thinking about something else, the waves will start to mm. increase. Whereas if you are in that zone where you're more calm and just peaceful and, and being more aware of your breath, then what happens is you start hearing birds and the waves start going down and it's like more calm, just easy going um, flow of the waves in nice. and out. So it's really cool. And I like it for ADHD because... It's hard to motivate myself. I, I need some stimulation, right? The breath is a little bit hard because I've tried to do just breathing. Okay, speaking of mindfulness and whatever, Steven didn't put on airplane mode. <laughs> That's amazing. Steven. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had, no, we've had one phone call during a podcast recording. That's, that's the second time that's ever happened in almost 15 episodes. <laughs> I think this might be the beginning uh, of the episode. Criminy. Okay, so, but you were saying you like it for ADHDers because. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a moment from another episode, and that's how embarrassment <laughs> affects ADHDers and specific ADHDers. <laughs> and some of our most embarrassing anecdotes. Uh, man. So, this one time my phone went off in the middle of the so, podcast. Um, I was saying that the it helps because it adds some kind of stimulation. And it, it allows you to also, you know, you have this app, you wear the headset. It's, it's kind of cool. You're, you're listening to these sounds. So you get some kind of reward from it as well. And it helps with, like, having that instant feedback, that instant kind of gratification. Now... Of course, there's there's a drawback with that, and the drawback is that if you pay too much attention to how am I doing, or you know, oh, I get really excited when I hear the birds chirping, or mm -hmm. I get you know really upset when I hear the waves going up. What's wrong with me? Like if you tune into that, it's gonna hurt your your overall um, experience on the muse or meditating right, in then, general. I mean that what you just described sounds exactly the 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 challenge that we ADHDers face. I mean, what you just described is, is kind of how I'd expect my reaction to be to like, Oh my God, it's getting more excited. I'm getting more excited because it's getting more excited. So I'm assuming that's a, that's almost an added bonus is that it's challenging is that it's, it's tough. Like we have to work to be actively 
meditative or like or we is it am I, am I making sense like does it is it tough like describe your experience a little bit like when it gets really excited did you have was there a big learning curve for you yeah i mean i'm still i'm still working on it because i still have that impulse to oh i want to i want to like really get excited when i hear the birds chirping or like yeah, something right. really well or oh i haven't heard a bird in like a minute what's wrong with me speaking of which but go but Let's um let's do another five minutes Great. on this at least. Because I just have a little thing to say about martial arts and then I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Um So you yeah, I mean you I mean I would also get very excited the second I heard the birds chirping. That would to me would be like, I won and then all of a sudden my heart rate's up again and my head you know, and I'm thinking about winning and I'm thinking about the game which I just lost and I'm thinking about all sorts of things. Like what how do you prevent against that? you don't really try to prevent mm. against anything like cause, cause that's the whole thing about not control, not trying mm. to take control, letting go that, that control, that sense of, I have to do something about this is your ego. That's yourself coming into the picture. And when you're meditating or when you're trying to be in a state of mindfulness, you want to let go of that, of that sense to right. take over. Like what you actually want to do is, is allow this to be a teachable moment for yourself. I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling really excited by this one thing. But instead of believing that that's just natural, inevitable, and you have to go with it and you have to really pay attention and then you have to respond to that feeling, you actually just notice it, are aware of it, and bring mindful awareness to it, and then let it pass subside bring your and bring your attention back to the breath back to the calming sounds of the waves and as long as you're doing that it's just moment to moment bringing yourself back gotcha gotcha well <clears throat> i haven't thrown up the cash because and you can you know back me up on this one it's not exactly the cheapest the muse isn't exactly the cheapest you know entrance into the tech meditative world but but even still though your six months of usage is compelling and i've been interested in it since you brought it up um and 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 it's on my it's on my bucket list it's on my my saved amazon tab you know to eventually um cash in on and and, and test out myself uh it should it kind of goes without saying that we do live in a tech driven world and there are multiple versions you know of muse there are um, white noise machines. There are scent, um, nasal, uh, um, smell-based meditation practices. Um, we could spend hours talking about research studies on um, scent-related versus aural or visual-related meditation. Um, there's quite a lot of positive research for uh, uh, setting up times of days that you light incense or essentially pump a certain smell into your home and, and kind of guide you to sleep or to guide you towards wakefulness. Um, there are a bunch of really funny ones too, like right. machines that make toast and coffee and, and like pancake smell and like bacon smell. Um, the bacon, the no, bacon alarm clock. Little, like, <laughs> like it's, yeah, they're cute and st stupid expensive, but um, uh, there's all kinds of tools, technological tools to evoke mindfulness and to guide and to help guide um, I wanted to briefly talk about before we wrap, um, physical 
uh, sport and how, uh, you know, we've talked about in the hyperfocus episode how, you know, athletes in particular discuss flow state pretty normally and colloquially amongst fellow athletes. Well, my, I'd say, I'd say my most successful journey into mindful practice, uh, mindfulness practice, and my longest um, stint of, of, of practicing this repetitiously and healthily was uh, in Wing Chun, was in martial arts. And I cannot stress the value of diligent, focused athletic activity for ADHDers enough. Um, some ADHDers describe finding Zen on the treadmill. Um, some ADHDers describe finding Zen on the bike. Um, those are all true for myself as well, but particularly through a mentor-mentee relationship in the martial arts world where there is a teacher, a sensei, um, or sifu, and a student, and I am forced by the hierarchy as well as the physical activity to, and that sounds funny, forced to be mindful, but it's that sort of unique way that that martial arts and any sport works where you have a coach and you, uh, you know, have to learn in steps to finally get to a place where you can do it on your own. I have found that process of, of challenge, respond, reward with a person of authority, very helpful for me as an ADHD -er in helping guide mindfulness and, and focus through, through a fighting sport. And I will tell you that after I had gotten four or five levels into it, I finally hit, I'll let that beep out for a second. Um, after about four or five years of, um, sorry, four or five levels over the period of two years, three years of, of practicing this particular martial art, I finally started scratching the surface on self-motivated mindfulness and meditation and, um, found great joy and, and clarity in, in that journey, in, 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 in learning how to defend myself and fight. And it's a very cardiovascular um, workout. And all, all, this, all this wonderful brain stuff aside, it also gave me fantastic posture um, and you know, stay fit, stay in shape. But the most valuable lesson I took from that, from that time in my life, um, training in martial arts was slowing down, which was ultimately ironic. I was in a very fast martial yeah. art form, but your brain slows down. You take in more stimulus. Um, well, in all, in all of the martial arts practices, there is, there is mindfulness yep. interwoven in the movements. And it, it, all of them are different in terms of their pace, their movements, their styles, but there's the best martial artists are the ones that have developed a very keen mindful awareness where they can they can move very quickly or they can react very quickly but and they may even be doing it in almost instinctually but it's because they've practiced certain movements techniques so well that it's like they don't need more than just a flick of a wrist or a movement of like a foot one way or the other to know and anticipate what's about to happen and move with it or react to it or engage it in some way with a technique. And I think that like, like martial arts is, is a great example of a way to interweave 
mindfulness into some kind of movement or physical practice. Um, you know, Wing Chun, right, is, is also about like redirecting your the energy or like taking the energy or things that are thrown at you, right? And not necessarily just like, here, you, you describe it, but isn't that part of it is like the kind of the philosophy I'd say or the, the cliches around... surrounding like the the using someone else's weight or energy and transferring it is more uh, uh, more adheres to tai chi which is the cliche or like um aikido which is very it's about grappling and throwing somebody literally using their body weight wing chun is a bit different jiu-jitsu Jiu exactly. exactly um Wing Chun is a little bit different in that it's a attack exclusively attacking fight form. So it's it was created by two women. It's one of the only uh, 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 nationally accepted fight forms in China and broader Eastern Asian uh, uh, cultures that was created by women, um, as legend has it. And the reason why that's important is that women did not have the same body mass as their male com um, competitors, and so had to develop an extremely fast and violent fighting form that allowed them to punch somebody a hundred times, then run away really quickly, essentially. And they would get very, very, very efficient at hitting very fast and running away. Now, what it now to your yeah. credit, where Wing Chun in the higher levels becomes extremely intuitive to your opponent's movements is with an entire pillar of Wing Chun. It takes it takes from level four until you are a level 12 technician. It's called Chi Sao, which means sticky hands. And sticky hands has to have been one of those, for me personally, mind-blowing ADHD micro epiphanies, where um, absolutely in keeping with mindfulness. And the idea is two opponents standing across from each other with their arms resting on each other in a very specific form, and you rotate the weight with your opponent. And that's how you start. At the very beginning, you're just rotating your weight. And it's all about, as you said, without knowing, this wrist touching, right? And you're always touching. Yeah. You're never not touching. Sticky hands. Yeah. And eventually, years go by of training and you add more and more moves and more blocks and attacks until six, seven levels down the road, I have videos of my teacher's performing chi sao for minutes at a time and it's incredibly violent but beautiful and and involves very fast very very fast hits and throws but they're all connected you're connected almost the entire time yeah. to your opponent and that because you're exactly, redirecting that energy though precisely so like <laughs> that's so that's yeah. that's what i'm saying like when you when you move quickly and like even bruce well, lee talks about this just as a as a general fun fact, if you yeah. don't know, Wing Chun was Bruce Lee's fighting form from the age of you know three to essentially between thirteen and eighteen. Hmm. He left his town and went nice. to Hong Kong, where he started to learn boxing from a British boxing instructor. But like he learned Wing Chun first, and then combined it with boxing to create the famous Bruce Lee fighting style that we all know today. Yeah, and he he was yes. into Taekwondo yeah, too to create his his fighting style but you were saying yeah bruce lee talks about it but but he was he was very much into you do these quick fast reactive movements but at the same time when you're doing that like with wing chung right you're 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 using the 
the other person's movement yes. or shift in their own weight, and you're and you're cha- t- turning it around or you're or you're mo- reacting to it in a way, maneuvering so that you can strike very quickly or you know move that energy back into that person, so that it's not you you taking that energy onto yourself. And that's in some ways that's how mindfulness works too. It is like people think that they have to react to things that happen in their environment emotionally. So someone yells at you, someone puts you down, something happens that upsets you, something negative, some criticism. And what do you do? You think I have to react. I have to say something. I have to feel this way. And just because I'm feeling this way means I have to do something about it. But instead, if we look at that, look at it in more of like a martial arts sense of what's the best way to respond not not just thinking in the moment, but thinking through multiple steps down the line. What's going to happen mm. if I yell back? Is that going to is that going to create the situation or the outcome that I'm hoping for? Probably not. If I just instinctively yell back, not going to happen. If I slug this person, is that what's going to happen? Is that going to escalate <laughs> the situation or resolve it? So, I think like martial arts allows you to slow it down and, and be aware moment by moment of your your body sensations in your body and also your mental state and your emotional state because when you're fighting right you're not supposed to be super enraged no to those the point guys where you're no matter how that those would, men and women, that wouldn't no help and strong they are always lose when they've lost control of their emotion yeah did you it Unless it's a fight to the death and that person has just gone ballistic and starts throwing things and, and, and tearing and stuff, and then, then we're in like an animalistic rage. But beyond that, the second someone loses their cool, the fight's over. They lost control. The other person always yeah. bests them if they're the same skill level. It's just because you lose focus. You lose, you lose control of... of it, it's funny how it works that way, actually. It's funny that the moment... The moment you lose control of your temper or your emotional state in at all, suddenly, suddenly your environment just crumbles. Like you don't have control over your balance. You don't have control over where objects are in space. You suddenly, it's like everything whites out, right? We hear the phrase, uh, you know, white with rage. Um, yeah. And that's because your, your, your mm. cortex shuts down and the things that allow you to make systematic responses that there are the higher levels of thinking, those things shut down and you go into your animalistic part of your brain and you tap in just to this this rage or that emotion and it fills you. And in that space, you can't you can't function. Your stuff starts to, right. to not function correctly. Because just as when you are running, your body naturally shuts down the digestive system. When you're in a state of rage, your body body naturally shuts down mm. these higher levels of thinking and organization and planning and looking at consequences. It's just this fight, flight, freeze, reactive mode. So what we have to do is learn to be aware of what's happening, how we're feeling in the moment, how we're responding to certain things in the moment, and break those cycles by choosing intentionally choosing to respond differently. And I have one last technique that I want to share and we'll we'll cut that down yeah. this episode a little bit, but I have one last technique um, that I'd like to share. And maybe 
if you'd indulge me, I'd like to have, have you test Heck it yeah. out. Is that okay? Love being your guinea pig. Really. Okay. <laughs> so this is this is the um, five seven nine technique, and I've done this with other uh, clients. I do this with my coaching clients, and people have found um, great benefit from it. It's very quick, but it's also something you can use pretty much whenever you feel like you're kind of out of control, whether it's you feel stuck and you're trying to write a paper or you're some kind of emotions taking over you. And it's like, Oh, this thing just happened with a girlfriend or boyfriend or something happened and you're feeling really emotional and like need to snap out of it, bring some mindfulness to it. This is a, is a quick technique takes less than a few minutes, but you can do it. Um, bring it anywhere, gotcha. office, school, wherever you sit down for an exam. You can do it there too. So, five, seven, nine technique. Basically, I'll just run through it real quick. What it is is for five seconds, you are breathing in, and you don't have to do this now. I'll, I'll let you do it in just a second. So, for five seconds, you're breathing in. You're counting to five. And as you're breathing in for five seconds, you're thinking about all the negative stuff, just breathing it in, almost like a dragon. I tell this to kids, like it's a dragon breathing fire um so the dragon breathes in right takes in all this fire all these negative emotions and then you hold you hold it for seven seconds and as you're holding it you see it almost as if you're flying above it as if it's maybe a fish in a, an aquarium right it's this, you're just watching it you're watching and being aware you're noticing observing your emotions without reacting, without going into it, or believing that they're real and they have to do something about it, just observing, noticing it, without judgment. Then, for nine seconds, you're releasing it. You're letting it go. You're consciously saying, I'm going to breathe this fire out, like that dragon, just So, five, seven, nine. Very simple, but I think that for people that have tried it, and we're going to do it right now. They've said that mm. it makes a difference. So, absolutely. You ready to try Give this? Me some stimulus. What's just happened? Okay. So, maybe think of something that just upset you a little bit. Right. Maybe it was their phone going off, let's say, mm -hmm. in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> Take that example. Something that, or even think about something recently that was a little upsetting maybe something someone said situation that happened that caused you some frustration got it let me know when you got it okay so now what i want you to do is to prime the pump as they say just take three big deep breaths and i want to hear you i want your, you to sit up straight with your back against kind of the chair as much as you can feet flat against the ground Hands resting just nice and relaxed on your thighs. And take three deep breaths. Ready?
Okay, now if you've done that, now you're ready. Now you've primed the pump. Okay, so now we try the 579 technique. So take that example of something you've been thinking about that caused frustration, and let's breathe that in. So I'll count to five. Ready? Breathe in, taking all of that emotional stuff. One, two, three, four, five. And hold it. Notice that emotional state. Count to seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then let it all go. Breathe it all out. Just let it all go. Every last bit in your lungs. So what do you what do you notice? The first thing I notice when taking when doing a deep breath exercise, <clears throat> which is always really refreshing, is how e how much easier I can breathe after immediately after the nine second exhale. I feel like the next breath, the next breath after that is the sweetest of breaths of all the of all the the three five seven and nine <clears throat> and then the second sensation very quickly after that is a louder clearer thought not many loud thoughts like a very like the the, the first the first thought or series of thoughts after doing something like that they're they're way loud they're like loud is the wrong word they're just clearer they're crisper yeah they're amplified. amplified and it's and they're slower right so the mm. first thought may have been oh i gotta set a reminder for that but like it's just the one and it's not clouded by a hundred other ones and you know this isn't a cure-all for my whole day but for that moment, the next 30 seconds after that meditative pra practice, I'm way more calm, way slower, and tuned in. It's, it's, um, it's like a tuned in feeling. Nice. Yeah, and that's yeah. what we're hoping for. It's not that doing this 579 technique is going to magically uh. make all these issues go away or you're going to your whole day is going to be great if you just do this one thing and people that say oh just five minutes a day and then your life will change like that's a little gimmicky i i wouldn't go that far i would just say that hey what this technique can do is if you're feeling a very strong emotion or you're ha noticing you're having some reaction maybe in your body right something just happened and you're you're realizing you're breathing pretty shallowly or right. tensing up somewhere in your hands or your shoulders or your neck, something like that, your jaw, whatever it is. If you just take a moment to, to do this kind of five, seven, nine and tune into the feeling, tune into what's going on and allow your breath to just relax and breathe it all out and let it go. Something happens in that moment where 
you are able to gain some clarity, gain some insight and understanding over what just what's going on. And you're able to intervene because honestly, that's a much healthier way to go about it than to just barrel forward and respond and react to whatever's going on and move on to the next thing. Okay. I'm feeling this way. Move on. Just keep plugging. Um, speaking of, of mindfulness and focus, I just had a mini heart attack because the garage band had an error message and it looked like it had stopped recording (laughs) about an hour ago. So, uh, (laughs) it didn't, but, um, uh, what I, was thinking of while you were speaking before the mini panic attack and what comes to mind is my kind of closing observation for mindfulness. I have found, and I'm sure someone super intelligent has put this more eloquent and poetic than I'm about to in the, in the past. But what I have found is that mindfulness and meditation is often mis promoted, like misadvertised as a short-term activity. Like if you know, want to have better days, meditate at the beginning of every day and you'll have a great day, yada, yada. I don't see mindfulness and meditation as a short-term investment. For me, it's, you know, you may have heard the colloquial phrase, the long con, right? But that's a little trickstery. It's, it's a long-term investment. Mindfulness now is helpful in preventing an anxiety attack later, right? These tools, like the one you just taught, can be excellent in the moment, right? So someone feels upset, angry, scared, tired, et cetera, and takes a moment and does the 579 activity and feels better. I think that's an excellent pragmatic use of mindfulness and meditation. However the lifestyle, right, the, this, this lifestyle of mindfulness that we're plugging, that requires as much practice as you can afford over a long period of time with the understanding that eventually, over time, we become, through mindfulness, far better equipped to approach all sorts of stimuli on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. It's the idea that like the mindfulness I do today, tomorrow, throughout the week is going to help prevent a, a tough emotional moment, a, a, you know, a challenging, uh, uh, it's going to, it's going to not prevent maybe even the wrong word. It's going to help support us. It's going to help support us in making clear, confident decisions next week or a month from now. Right. And that's the key for me. To mindfulness is that you are planting seeds that will grow over time and years from now you will find yes. yourself at peace and calm when seemingly all around you are freaking out because you you have have been practicing mindfulness <laughs> exactly the the person that said it best um the the buddha has a saying about be like the rock not shaken by praise nor blame. And that's obviously a translation from Pali. (laughs) But the Buddha basically talks about how a lot of people just go through life being swayed this way or that way, like, you know, a a stick going down a river, just 
no matter what the wherever the current goes, the tides, the the stick is going to go along. It's floating around. It doesn't. It's not able to to have any sense of control or respond in any way. It's going with that flow. And with us with ADHD, that's how most people engage with their ADHD. They just go with that default state. They just go with whatever the impulses that are driving them in the moment. But what we can do is regain a better sense of our own emotional control and managing our emotions in the moment, making intentional decisions of how we respond and in what ways we respond to thoughts, emotions, behaviors, actions, things that happen around us on the outside, in the environment, things that, that we can't necessarily control. What we can control mm. is what we do about it and how much we're affected by it. So being like the rock, being like no matter, no matter what's happening, those waves of praise or blame coming in, are we going to go into that and, and really uh, allow those to overtake us and consume us and force us to react in certain ways? Or are we going to notice and see, see it for what it is? It's a temporary state, just like what we're in. So if we're feeling strong emotions, whether it's happiness, excitement, anger, rage, frustration, disappointment, grief, mm. they're all temporary states. No mental state lasts forever. And if we can realize that it's a temporary state of being, it's a temporary emotional state, and we can just see it as almost a passing storm in our minds, it will clear. So monks and other folks that have practiced and can meditate for hours upon hours and have, let's say, like 20 years, 30 years of practice, it's not that they somehow get to a point where they never feel frustrated. They don't have anger or anything like that. It's just you don't see it because what happens is they might feel those same range of emotions, even to the same intensity as other folks, but they're not responding in, an, in as intensive a way. And they've done studies looking at right. uh, yeah. pain response in monks. And they've found that you know, if, you, if you apply a, a laser to the skin of a monk who's practiced for 20 years, they, their sense of pain in the brain, it doesn't light up. Those regions of the brain that respond to pain do not light up as intensely. And actually different parts of the brain light up where it's showing they're, they're taking more conscious awareness and control, right, in, in like the, the cortex regions of the brain versus that, that reactive part of the brain. So people that haven't practiced mindfulness, that have the same laser that's applied to the skin that causes a little bit of a pain sensation, yeah, they're reacting. So the lesson to take away for people with ADHD is that we all feel discomfort. We all feel like some things are hard and some things cause us a certain amount of pain and struggle and frustration. And are we able to sit with that feeling, respond to it with intention and not avoid that thing, not go and run and go on to the next thing because it's not interesting and do that other task, but just to be aware and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, 
I'm really struggling with this right now, but what can I do? Maybe I can breathe through it. Maybe yeah. I can do that five, and seven, nine of, technique. All of this, honestly, pers- leads to just a, a stronger feeling of, of confidence, like just capable. I, I, the, more, the more that I practice completing one task at a time, being mindful of my time, etc., the more capable I feel every day. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, All right. You know, as we, as we, I think we'll catch ourselves saying pre episode 100, we'll come back to this. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a subject matter yes. that we'll talk more and more about until <laughs> we run out of subject matter, which I don't know will ever happen. So a mindfulness will come back for sure. <laughs> and, um, um, you know, in some other form or fashion, but we hope that our listeners go out today, whenever this is releasing, and practice the five seven nine technique. Maybe practice the raisin exercise. Um, go out and have a little fun. Do some research. Find out what meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Explore. explore. Find what, practice that find what works for you. you. We're just giving you some. We're just giving you some possibilities. And try it out, test it out, see if it helps. Yeah, wake up. If it's five not for you. Do something else. You know, tomorrow morning and plop a raisin in your mouth. Chill on it. Just sit on the raisin for a minute in your mouth, not on your butt. <laughs> and you know, although we will take <laughs> thoughts and observations on the raisin butt test. So if you take a raisin and sit on it for five <laughs> minutes, tell us. Tell us. What you thought about that, you know, how it tasted or how it changed or how your experience changed <laughs> over the five minutes while sitting on the razor. I personally will take those calls. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take yes. those. <laughs> yeah, you take um, those. The raisin, could you imagine the raisin butt test or like the pee test? Like you put a pee under a pillow and see if someone can eventually feel the pee under the pillow, you know, like the princess and the pee. Can I? I just hey, want to say ahead, one ahead, more little soundbite that little I had. Somewhere else. Uh, a little anecdote. Um, so the Buddha, before he passed away, or kind of on his deathbed, essentially, said the following: because because the monks right. were kind of freaking out, right? They were like the sangha. They were like, "What are we going to do without?" this person that's led us, that's guided us, that's taught us all these things, that's shown us this this way, this path. And so a lot of the people, all these, all the sun, all the monks came out to say their respects, to say goodbye, all this stuff. But one stayed back. And one monk, people's, other monks were like, what's wrong with that guy? You know, he's like, it's kind of rude. Like, he's not even saying goodbye to the Buddha. Like, you know, what's happening? Like, He's not honoring our teacher. Like, what's he doing? And the Buddha was, upon hearing this, upon hearing about this monk, said to the Sangha, like, no, no, actually, he's correct. He's doing what he needs to. It's not about me. It's not about saying goodbye to me. It's not about honoring right. me. It's not about me right. at all. It's about the practice. And, and he's actually doing the most to honor me by practicing by being yeah. with himself, by doing the meditation. And the last words to the monks was, strive with diligence. Strive with, strive after diligence? Strive with diligence. 
Strive with diligence. Strive with diligence. So how we can interpret that or understand that, strive with diligence means practice. Diligent practice is intentional volitional practice. And the more that we do that, anyone practicing mindfulness, whether it's to help your ADHD or to help you otherwise, just in general in life, strive with diligence, practice, continue. It's not about getting somewhere. It's not about a destination. Although there's this whole thing about enlightenment and right, that obviously that's like this goal or something that's set out yeah. meditation, reach enlightenment. No. But that was never the thing that the Buddha was about. The enlightenment comes through the journey, not as a destination. Yes. It happens yes. over time after years and years and cycles and cycles of practice and doing it moment by moment. And then it becoming so much a part of you that then it kind of washes over you and, and you are then said to be enlightened because you have For those who understand this, practice this way, enlightenment is a state of mind that you can enter and exit. Enlightenment is not a throne that you reach at the top of the hill. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, as you say, a destination. It's not, a, it's not an end goal. Enlightenment is a place that you get to and can also leave you can also lose enlightenment. I think this is something that people forget that enlightenment is something you experience. I, 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 I well, my, my favorite uh, definitions are those that enlightenment comes to you through the, through the journey and you experience enlightenment through constant, as you said, diligent um, practice, rep- repeated, repetitious, diligent, volitional uh, practice, right? over time and then it is argued that you may reach this enlightened state but it's not a reward you get it's not something it's not a trophy you carry around enlightenment it's it's a state of mind just like being mindful on any given tuesday is a state of mind right well it's even more than a state of mind like in, in a historical yeah. sense, right? It's a more of a, a okay, state of fair, being, fair, fair, absolutely. Which is yeah. which is an integrated, yeah, an integrated state. state. It's an integrated state. So it's not just your mind, right? It's not just your mind. It's your mind. It's your body. It's your energy. It's your life fair. force. It's all of this stuff. So, but enlightenment, like you said, can be a That's state a, yeah. of a temporary state of mind. Like you, we all have experienced certain temporary right. moments of enlightenment or pure kind of bliss or a state where you've you've really felt like, oh, wow, I, I feel this state of equanimity and tranquility and other stuff. You're tasting, touching upon right. and, enlightenment to me, though, that's, in those I'm moments. I'm sorry to interject, but, but if, to me, that's where, our, that's where more mm-hmm. of our focus should point towards. I think we not only, it's not, it, yes, it could, be a, it could be a Western culture thing, but I, don't, I think it's a human thing. I think it's a human condition thing to want the quick reward, right? To want the, the quick win. I don't think it's just a Western culture thing. We may have beaten it in home a bit too much, right? With manifest destiny and, and like our obsession with fortune 500, right? Um, however, it's a human condition. Uh, it's a human characteristic to want to win fast or to want to achieve quickly, right? Efficiency. Instant gratification is a, is a the human instant gratification condition, and 
to me, focusing on an end goal, what? which is how, unfortunately, yeah. so many of these enlightened states for various different spiritual cultures and religions um, is, is sort of like propped up on this pedestal as this like end destination, is this like this place that you get to after you check off all the boxes, when in reality, we should cherish and romanticize, we should romanticize and cherish these moments, these mini moments of enlightenment along the way that are a taste, as you say. They are not a fully enlightened state, but they're a taste. And and what, what at least I'm trying to get um, listeners and viewers to understand is that if you practice mindfulness, if you practice various forms of meditation and, and diligent focus, if you strive, right, um, diligently strive, you set yourself up for a lifetime of positive moments, of, clair of, of, of moments of clarity that you might not have, that you arguably would not have had you not spent the time practicing mindfulness and meditating and self-reflecting. We're talking 50 years of adult life where along the way, You'll experiencing the, you'll, you will experience these beautiful moments of self-understanding and self-reflection and, 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 and positivity, right, clarity, toward an ultimate goal of enlightened being, right? Am I, am I making sense or does it sound more ranty? My point is that we romanticize the end and not the moments in between. And that if we spend more time romanticizing the moments in between, yes. we'll find these kernels of joy and happiness a long 50 years of life as opposed to this idea of 50 years of struggle or more, right? Or more. As opposed to this, you know, 70 years of struggle and then, oh my God, I'm happy. You know, like this, this like, I'm, oh, now I'm at peace. No, it's not about that. It's about, it's, it's about striving for peace on the reg, on a regular basis. Well, enlightenment, yes, you're right. Um, it is, it is about the journey and not the destination. It's just, we misinterpret what enlightenment is. It's like, people think it's a place. People think it's some kind of ultimate state of being that they have to, that right, they're that trying to manifest in some being. way, but <laughs> And then it'll yes. just kind of happen if you do X, Y, Z enough or something. And that's not, that that striving in and of itself brings you farther away from enlightenment. So while the Buddha said strive with diligence, it does not mean right. gratification or clinging, clinging, that's the Buddhist term, Right, this clinging to, this attachment to sense desires right. or, or things that are there, clinging to stuff that I want this, I need this, I want to get this. That kind of urge of I, 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 I want to feel right. at peace. What's wrong with me? Why can't I be? Like any of those urges brings us away from actually being able to attain or, or sustain right. any kind of enlightenment. Now, I think the think the thing to to strive for is to strive in the practice of mindfulness and meditation and awareness, and 
that's the thing to strive in and for, is to become more aware, attain a deeper sense of awareness, attain a, a more equanimical response yeah. to the world. And when we do that, guess what? Enlightenment emerges in the person. It's not that they create it. You don't create enlightenment for yourself. You become enlightened. You become an enlightened being through a, a practice of becoming. Mm-hmm. Yep. Does that make sense? It, yep. I mean, I, I, I see us going down a long tunnel of, of discussion. Great positive discussion, <laughs> but like well over time. So we should be mindful of our time. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Um, we're totally over time. Yes. We should heed our own words. You see what I mean? You got to be crazy. Too late to be sane. You got to go full tilt, Bozo. Because you're only given a little spark of that. We are attention. If you lose that, you're not attention. Pay attention. Pay attention.